0: it remains an instruction book for churches and church planting. And Lord, we thank you for that. I pray this morning as we look at it, Lord, that we'd be instructed, that we'd be teachable and instructed and encouraged uh, and edified, Lord, for you. I pray that you'll work here now this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So take your hand out for just one second. want to do a couple things with this. Uh, I've, been, I've been thinking, Rich, you had suggested it so, somewhere along the way maps would be helpful, and I, and I agree, so I've given you a map uh, of the third missionary journey. So you'll recall last week in chapter 18, we saw the end of the second trip and the beginning of the third, uh, and I want to just pick that up at the end of chapter 18 today. But before we do that, look, just look at your handout here uh, this is this is really a, an outline of the third journey. So we see uh, Paul traveling from Antioch to Ephesus. We saw that uh, last week. We'll review that this morning. Uh, chapter 19 is really Paul at Ephesus and events that, that happen at Ephesus. If you look down at the map down below, uh, right about in the middle there, you see the big word Asia. And Ephesus would be just to the south there. So uh, that's where we'll we'll see Paul this morning in, in Ephesus, the the area called Asia then, at least. Um, so that that's it just gives you a good sense of, of where we'll be geographically. Um, I've made a couple of other notes here that are just kind of interesting and, and helpful, I think. It's while Paul was at Ephesus that he penned 1 Corinthians. Remember, he's already been at Corinth. If you look all the way over at the left-hand side of the map down to the southernmost red line there, Uh, you see Corinth there in what would be uh, southern Greece today. So uh, Paul's been there, he's preached there, he's discipled uh, believers there, and uh, it appears that he'll write to the Corinthians from Ephesus at this time. After that, he travels back in their direction uh, toward uh, the west or or the left on your map to Macedonia. Uh, In chapter 20, Timothy will be left there. Uh, And it's while he's in Macedonia that he seems to write 2 Corinthians. So again, writing to that church down in southern Greece. Uh, After that, he travels to Corinth. Um, uh, So he he writes to them twice, then then he travels there. While he's there, he writes to the Galatians uh, and the Romans and then travels back home. We'll see this in chapter 21, completing uh, his third journey. So that, that gives you a kind of an outline of the third journey you've got. Uh, The map here and uh, some information about when some of the other books of the New Testament are written. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find that interesting and helpful, so uh, hopefully it will be for you as well. Um, On the back of that outline, I've given you uh, just a reminder here of some of the reasons that we do not believe that tongues are for today. And the reason that I've included this uh, here with this outline is that it's here in Acts chapter 19 that we see the last instance of tongues uh, in the book of Acts, uh, so you know, we've we've believed we, we we do believe. Let me try again. We do believe that that tongues was a transitional phenomena, uh, had a temporary purpose, and I don't want to take time to go through this today. But I, I wanted to just give this to you so that you would have this. Uh, some of the reasons why we don't believe tongues are for today. Importantly, for our study, um, just bear in mind that we do not see tongues on the chronological historical timeline in the book of Acts uh, after this chapter, after chapter 19. So this will be the last instance of what we would argue is this uh, temporary phenomenon. Zach, we've we've observed that that tongues were for a Jewish audience, um, that they're not for the benefit of believers according to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. By the way, it's interesting that he wrote that While he's in Corinth, uh, Ephesus, we see the last instance of the use of tongues. Uh, At or about the exact same time, he's writing the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, in which he says, "Hey, tongues are not for believers. (laughs) They're they're not for believers. Uh, They're assigned to unbelievers." So, uh, these these things do fit together, and it's it's important. So. Uh, You have that. Uh, There's other reasons why we don't think tongues are for today, but I wanted to give you just some of the highlights. If you have questions about that, uh, please feel free to come uh, and talk to me. Now, um, we'll see here this morning, Brother Ray Mechik, a number of themes that we can kind of pull out or principles, but one of the things that jumped out to me as I was studying end of chapter 18 beginning of chapter 19 is you you see people who are teachable, uh, people who know quite a bit uh, evidently, but who remain uh, teachable uh, and because of that they're learning and able to take what they've learned uh, and to plow that back into their ministry. Um, I as a pastor have to stay teachable. you know I don't pretend rich to know the Bible as 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 well as anyone could or should uh, and so I've got to keep studying so that I can keep teaching and uh, that's something that I learned. I think I've mentioned this uh, before. Um, all, all, years ago, when I began to teach the kids upstairs there behind Brother Ray, uh, I told the pastor, hey, I don't know very much. He said, that's fine. Uh, if you'll stay teachable and study and study and teach and study and teach, that, that'll that be fine. Uh, well, the same continues today. We have to stay teachable. Let the Lord teach us as we study his word, but then go out there and use it. Uh, ask the Lord to apply it to our hearts and to give us opportunities to share what we're learning uh, with others. We can do that if we'll stay teachable. So, we see a couple examples of that uh, principle here uh, this morning. Acts 18, verse 23. Acts 18, verse 23. Um, here we, we see... Well, let's just, let's just jump in here. After he'd spent some time there, so he did his brief furlough back home at Antioch, he departed... Uh, and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So uh, it would seem that as Paul's traveling west uh, from Syria, from Antioch, toward Antioch, he's visiting those churches that he's planted, uh, churches like Derby uh, and the church at Iconium and the church at Lystra. doesn't say that, but it implies at least that he's going back there to continue discipling those churches Uh, encouraging the people there. He went over these areas or through them uh, in order. There was a a system and an orderliness to it. And again, I think this just implies that he's taking care to get back and uh, encourage and strengthen the churches that he's planted. Now, pretty soon he arrives at Ephesus, so traveling west there in Southern Asia, he arrives at Ephesus Ephesus is a major city in that area. It was important for a lot of reasons. It was pretty large. Uh, It was uh, uh, on the coast, so it was important. um, um, Help me with the word. It was an important business area. It was an important uh, area of commerce, so there was a lot of people there. There was a lot of wealth there. It became a little bit of a cultural center. Uh, This was an important place strategically strategically for uh, the gospel uh, to get to. Uh, and for a church to, to, to be built up there. So Paul's back at Ephesus now. And here in verse 24, uh, we see a, a man, he's called a certain Jew uh, named Apollos, verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, uh, born at Alexandria, remember that's uh, down in Egypt, um, it was named after um, Alexander the Great. Why, why would this place in Egypt be named after Alexander the Great? Well remember that just before the Roman Empire, what was the empire that was in charge? It was the Greek empire, right? They, they controlled this whole area. Uh, and so Alexander the Great, uh, or this place was built and named after him da- down in uh, Egypt, um, Alexandria. Um, so Apollos, he's, um, and he's called an eloquent man. He, he's, he's well-spoken. And he's called a man who's mighty in the scriptures. So Uh, Here's a man who evidently is pretty talented uh, and pretty knowledgeable. Uh, He comes to Ephesus. Why exactly? We don't know. Uh, Perhaps because this was an important area for trade and and commerce. That might be what brought him there. Verse 25 says This man was instructed uh, in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Uh, knowing only the baptism of John. So it seems like he, what he has learned is sort of up to the ministry uh, of John the Baptist, Sister Carol. And uh, that would mean that he would have uh, knowledge, of certain knowledge of Christ uh, about to come, uh, certain, certain knowledge of, of you know, Old Testament things and, and the promise of a Messiah and so forth. Uh, but not a full knowledge of Christ, perhaps not a knowledge of death, burial, and resurrection, uh, but nonetheless, he, he's a man who's been taught uh, in scriptural things up to, at least up to the point of, of John the Baptist historically. And so, uh, he's, he's here sharing what he knows. Verse 26 says, he began to speak boldly uh, in the synagogue. So, uh, again, boldly sharing what he has learned. He's, he's been teachable. Uh, he's out there. He's, he's come to Ephesus for whatever reason, maybe to share what he's learned, maybe some other reason. We can't say for sure. Uh, but but he's in the synagogue as a Jewish man would be. Uh, they were permitted the opportunity to speak, and uh, he's sharing and, and speaking and teaching what he knows. Well, good for him. Uh, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, uh, whom when Aquila and Priscilla uh, had heard. Now remember, Paul has dealt with Aquila and Priscilla uh, and, and they've been sort of left behind, not, not like that, but uh, sort of deposited uh, in Ephesus. Uh, they are this, this saved couple. I understand scripture reveals they're not perfect, but it seems like they're a saved couple. They, they've been instructed by Paul and when they hear Apollos speaking, Apollos, uh, they realize that, well, he has some knowledge, and, and he's a man of faith, and uh, he's talented, and he has this uh, just desire to share what he knows. What he knows is imperfect. And so uh, they lovingly take him aside, uh, and they begin to teach him. Uh, second part of verse 26, end of verse 26, they took him unto them, and expounded unto him the way of God more what? More perfectly, more completely. They said, hey, man, what you have is good, but but we need to update you. On, on, uh, the Messiah has come. He, he lived, he died, he, he was buried, he, he rose again. Uh, they gave him more complete knowledge uh, of Christ and the gospel than uh, what he possessed. Now, Zach, if you kind of put yourself in Apollos' shoes, you know, he could respond to this... Um, a couple of different ways. Um, he might have been um, very proud. He's, he's an eloquent, talented man. Uh, he's mighty in the Old Testament scriptures. He has great knowledge. Uh, he's evidently someone who they're happy to receive in the synagogue uh, to teach and preach. He's an eloquent and knowledgeable man. Uh, you know, uh, he, he might have said, hey, I, I know all that there is to know. Uh, I, I've been taught and, and I'm, here I am. Uh, If if some strangers come in, a a man and his wife, and say, listen, uh, we're concerned that you don't seem to have uh, perfect knowledge of the gospel, but we'd be willing to teach you, he could have responded pridefully and said, listen, I'm I'm good, thank you, Uh, or he could humble himself and say, well, of course, I need to be teachable. He didn't always have knowledge of John's baptism. Uh, He didn't clearly... Uh, He he saw that there there was room for learning um, still in in his life. And so he evidently humbles himself and allows them uh, to teach him. And I think, uh, I don't think, only thing I know, uh, Rich, there's a principle here. There's a lesson for us. No matter how far we progress uh, in our knowledge of scripture, we've got to stay teachable. Uh, we've got to stay teachable. We don't grow in knowledge unless we do stay teachable. Uh, The point at which we kind of arrive and say, well, I've learned all there is to learn. I I know all that I need to know. Uh, That's the point at which we stop learning, or at least we're at risk of of not learning anymore. Uh, And that's a shame because uh, we understand that there's more to Scripture than we can probably really comprehend and and wrap our brains around this side of heaven. So praise God for this man's example of staying teachable. Verse 27, uh, because he stayed teachable, he he was able to put what he learned uh, into practice. Verse 27, when he, Apollos, uh, was disposed to pass into Achaia. Now look back at your map for a second. Achaia is that region uh, uh, on the left-hand side of your map that encompasses Corinth and Athens down there in the south, uh, kind of the end of the red line there all the way on the left. Uh, Apollos was disposed or inclined to pass into Achaea, southern Greece, uh, the area of Athens and Corinth. Uh, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples there, evidently, to receive him, uh, who when he was come helped them much, uh, which had believed uh, through grace. So uh, he's he's Humbled himself to stay teachable, uh, he's inclined uh, to go over to Achaia, to Athens and Corinth. We know there's two, at least two churches there. Uh, Zach, I, I think you'd have to conclude that the, the Holy Spirit in, inclined him to go there. Uh, so probably um, Aquila and Priscilla sent a letter to the churches there and said, "Hey, we've got this man. He boy, he knows Scripture." Uh, he's a great speaker, he's got this great enthusiasm to teach, and guess what, he's he's teachable, we've been able to teach him. You ought to receive him in because we feel like the Lord could just really use him there uh, in your churches. And uh, evidently they receive that letter, and they receive him, and and he goes there. Uh, Verse 28, for he mightily uh, convinced the Jews, probably at the Corinthian synagogue, uh, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures... Uh, that Jesus was Christ. Now, Zach, probably didn't know that before Priscilla and Aquila came. Uh, He probably just knew that John uh, was baptizing people in the name of the Messiah who was coming. Uh, Now he knows the Messiah has come. Uh, No doubt they've shown him from the Old Testament scriptures that he already knows that Christ kind of checked all the boxes prophetically Uh, And so he was now prepared to go into the synagogue at Corinth uh, and teach what what he has just learned. Lord, help us to have a heart to to learn and to teach others, to to learn some more uh, and to share it with some others. And you know that, as I've said so many times over over the years, yes, a church is a place for formal teaching and preaching, but uh, it can be a place for informal teaching and preaching as well. We learn an awful lot from each other informally, uh, if everybody will stay, will stay teachable. Zach, uh, it's interesting in verse 28 that um, Apollos, the Holy Spirit has Luke to record that Apollos showed them f- by the scriptures uh, that, that Jesus was Christ. Of course, we know that that's the tool that we should use uh, in sharing the gospel, but it's also interesting um, in the synagogues, by this point in Jewish history, uh, the scriptures, while they were read, they were uh, largely displaced by what? Do you know, brother Ray? Do you, do you know what what has sort of became more prominent uh, in terms of written material in the synagogues? Uh, more prominent than scriptures was the Talmud, uh, and I, I think that's probably largely true even today, at least in certain types of synagogues probably heard of the Talmud before. It, it, it's not the Old Testament. It was uh, written traditions that were sort of accumulated by, uh, you know, important rabbis down through the years. Um, we have Bible commentaries that, that we appreciate and value, but we certainly don't um, view them as having the same authority or value as scripture. And we always would take care to say, hey, uh, don't, don't start with commentary, start with the scripture, let God speak to you. Uh, you, then you can go to a commentary and see what other men have thought about that passage over time. But uh, we wanna take care not to fall into that same trap that the Jews did uh, in, in their synagogues, letting their uh, commentary or traditions, their recorded traditions uh, become more important uh, than what the scriptures actually said. By the way, the importance of the the Talmud to the Jews in the synagogues in the first century might be one of the reasons why they didn't recognize Christ as the Messiah. They were more focused on their traditions, treating the Talmud more scripture than the Old Testament, uh, and and they, they were just, they had kind of divorced themselves from the the scriptures that that emphasize the coming of the Messiah and all those prophecies. So, Lord help us to be close, to stay close to the scriptures. Help us to always be a church where the scriptures uh, and Christ who's revealed by the scriptures are, are paramount. Boy, uh, that's important. And so we see here uh, Apollos uh, was t- stayed teachable, uh, learned, and was able to, to be used to the Lord to serve by sharing what he had learned. So uh, coming into verse 19, the focus is now back on Paul uh, at Ephesus. Um, uh, verse 19, uh, let me try again. Chapter 19, verse one, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, so we know for sure he was at Corinth, uh, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. We already looked at that on the map. Uh, by the way, um, it's called Asia, but you I'll just remind us this morning, that's modern-day Turkey. If you look at where Ephesus is on the map today, that's modern-day Turkey. Um, finding certain disciples. Uh, so Paul uh, arrives at Ephesus. Uh, the Bible says he found there certain disciples, certain believers. If you look down at verse 7. The Bible says all the men were about 12. So we know there were at least 12 men uh, who were believers there. I think that probably implies there were more believers than that there. Uh, we know that uh, Aquila and Priscilla are there at this time. Uh, but there's at least 12 uh, believers, uh, small group of believers in Ephesus when, when uh, Paul arrives there. Now, you're gonna see here again the importance of being teachable. Uh, Paul comes and asks them a question in verse two. He said unto them, have ye, all of you, received the Holy Ghost since ye believed. And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So evidently they've they've heard the gospel and they've been saved. Uh, We would have to say that uh, they've been saved, uh, or at least we could argue that they've been saved. Uh, They're called disciples. Um, They were... he says unto them, "Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed?" So that they believed on Christ, uh, but th- but they had they lacked knowledge of the Holy Spirit. In verse three, he said unto them, "Unto what were ye baptized?" They said unto John's baptism. Okay, well they they that's what, how they understood the baptism also. Verse four then said, "Paul, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, they should believe on him, that should come after him, that is on Christ." When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, uh, Paul taught them about baptism, and they were baptized, they, they were teachable, and he taught them about baptism, they, they got baptized, um, and they're blessed here with this temporary sign gift of speaking in tongues. Verse six, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, uh, and they spake with tongues uh, and prophesied, so uh, here you have people that are blessed with the privilege to uh, exercise this, this temporary gift of tongues. Uh, Zach, I think because they were teachable and received instruction, uh, they are blessed this way. Again, this is the last recorded instance of t- the phenomenon of tongues uh, in New Testament history, so, so that's, that's important. Uh, They were teachable, they responded to the teaching, they obeyed, Uh, they're blessed with this um, expression of the Spirit of God. Uh, Does the Lord still bless obedient people today? Of course he does, of course he does. And uh, I think we could make a case that staying teachable is part of the obedience to which we're called. We see right here in, in this short, just short group of verses that we've looked at this morning... This principle of being teachable and uh, rich, <laughs> we'll stay teachable. Uh, we can expect blessings for that, no doubt. Well, let's continue on here. Paul, Paul enters into the synagogue uh, at Ephesus, uh, and he teaches people there uh, for three months. He went into the synagogue and spake boldly uh, for the space of three months, disputing and persuading. Uh, the things concerning the kingdom of God. Of course, this would involve Christ, uh, the king uh, of the kingdoms. That for three months. And, uh, so if there's another principle that I could see here already this morning, I've got the principle of being teachable, but I've also got a principle of being persistent in our teaching. Uh, we all know, of course, that people don't always come to Christ the first time they hear the gospel. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, Paul didn't just go in there once uh, and get out of there, ne- never go back. We've seen before that as long as the Lord would allow him to, he would go in the synagogue and stay there uh, for some period of weeks, or in this case, uh, a full quarter, uh, th- three months. Uh, he remained persistent in his teaching, and um, I think that we'd do well this morning to, to get a hold of this. Um, we'll see here that because of his persistence, uh, some are saved, many are not, but but some are. Uh, Verse nine, but when divers were hardened, uh, that word divers is difficult and unfamiliar and doesn't show up that much in scripture. Uh, The underlying word is more often translated some. You just make a note, some. Uh, When divers, it's not guys that go down in the water, uh, this was a word that would have been familiar in 1611, the time of the translation, but is most more commonly translated "some." So we'll, we'll learn that this morning if we don't know that already. Uh, but when divers some were hardened, uh, and believed not, some hardened their hearts against the truth. Uh, there at the synagogue, you can just picture uh, people were really invested in their Talmudic tumult, Judaism, the traditions. Uh, they're focused on the Talmud and the traditions, and uh, they they were not willing to have their traditions modified. They were comfortable uh, in their traditions. Anything that would uh, threaten their traditions might be threatening to them, uh, unless they were searching for the Messiah the way they should have been. Um, most most did not believe. Uh, well, some some were hardened and believed not. Spake evil of that way before the multitude, what way? The one way, <laughs> the way, the truth and the life, uh, the way of the gospel, the way of salvation. Uh, some were hardened, some hardened their hearts against Christ and the gospel, against Paul, the, the teacher, who spoke evil before the multitude. And when they did that, Bible says he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily, in the school of one Tyrannus. Now this is interesting. Um, I don't know if uh, for sure some have been saved here in the synagogue or not. Uh, it's, it's almost certainly the case that the 12 that are referenced in verse seven would have been there hearing Paul's teaching and preaching. I think it's likely that some in addition uh, are saved. Uh, only, only some of the men, only some of the people at the synagogue hardened their hearts and believed not. So, Rich, I think that implies grammatically that some others uh, were saved. And Paul stayed there uh, until it seemed like you know, nobody else was going to be inclined to hear and, and come to Christ. And so, at that point, he said, you know what? We must separate the believers out here now. Uh, we're separate from these hard-hearted unbelievers at the synagogue. Uh, here's the principle of separation come out from these unbelievers uh, who are speaking evil of the gospel. Uh, and it seems like he, he found a place uh, to, to form a, a little group of believers here where he could disciple them for a period of time, uh, disputing daily in the school of one ty- Tyrannus. Now, we don't know an awful lot about Tyrannus, Uh, In scripture. However, uh, secular history, Rich, does record that there was a pretty well known physician at Ephesus in the first century who was named Tyrannus. Uh, And so that's interesting. So you can kind of just sort of imagine the scene. Paul's got a group of believers uh, in Ephesus. He needs a place to meet. Maybe Luke popped up and said, Luke, the physician, right? Uh, Maybe Luke popped up and said, hey, listen, uh, I, I know this other well-known doctor here in Ephesus, or perhaps he knew of him. He said, well, why, don't, why don't I go over to his medical school and see if he would make a classroom available where we could meet and, and teach uh, and just continue discipling uh, the believers here. I think something like that probably happened. Brother Ray, I don't know that for sure, but that might well be the case. That, that seems like it's, it's probably the thing. He There's a man named Tyrannus who's a doctor who had a school, probably a medical school, uh, and and probably Luke secures some space there uh, that they can use. Well, they have a space. It's probably a good space. And verse 10 says Paul remained there for two years, teaching uh, these believers and and preaching the gospel also. Verse 10, this continued by the space of two years. Uh, So just like we see this idea of, of persistence and sharing the gospel back at the synagogue, you know, he, he persisted there for three months. He's going he's to persist for two years. Uh, <laughs> here's the outcome of, of Paul's willingness to, to persist and stay there for two years. Next part of verse 10 says this, "...so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord..." Uh, Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Look back at your map uh, for a moment, if you would, please. Um, The Bible says here that that Paul stayed in Ephesus for two years, teaching and preaching, and that the result of that was that everyone in Asia uh, heard uh, the word of the Lord Jesus. Now, Asia is a large area. I mean, it's a a big chunk of of modern-day Turkey. Uh, It would encompass all the area uh, down to the southern part there, south of Ephesus, uh, all the way up to the north, uh, above Troas and, and, and Mysia. This is a large area. Uh, it's not just Ephesus, which would have been a large city uh, where, where everyone heard the, the gospel, but uh, the entire region of Asia. Well, that's, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> Paul, uh, Paul uh, persists there. Uh, evidently, at the w- at the urging of the Holy Spirit, or at least with with a peaceful from the Spirit, that he would do this, uh, and and you can just well, how is this possible? You can just imagine that uh, maybe people came in, uh, maybe at the school of, of Tyrannus, uh, Paul was able to get one of these big lecture halls. You know, maybe start out with a small room, but as it filled up, he he got one of those big like uh, uh, I don't know what. Rich, one of those big um, like 101 level freshman class lecture halls, and uh, he, people would pour in from different parts of Asia to hear what Paul was teaching, and uh, as they did, they got saved and, and, and went back home and, and shared the gospel. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how this happened, but that's what should happen, right? People people come in and, and, and hear the gospel and take the gospel back, pollinating the entire Asia uh, region of Asia with the gospel. Uh, maybe Paul sent people out uh, from Ephesus to go out into different parts of Asia to share the gospel. One way or another, uh, Paul's willingness to teach uh, and preach over a long period of time and the willingness of people to be teachable, uh, evidently not only about the gospel, but uh, the Lord's call to share the gospel, resulted in this whole region here in the gospel. That's exciting to me. Uh, that's what can happen when people are teachable uh, and obedient to the teaching. Uh, Verse 11 is interesting. God wrought special miracles uh, by the hands of Paul. So uh, this would be a temporary sign gift as well, uh, something that would end uh, by the end of the book of Acts. Uh, Verse 12, so that from his body were brought unto the sick, what's the next word there? Handkerchiefs or aprons. So uh, this is familiar to you. Uh, Paul uh, wore an apron or, or a handkerchief or some, some article of his clothing. Uh, when, when those, he would give those, uh, and, and people would take them to the sick. Uh, and, and when they received that uh, from Paul, they were healed. The uh, Bible says the disease has departed from them. Uh, so they're healed of physical uh, maladies uh, as well as spiritual maladies. Evil spirits went out from them. And see, We'll see a couple times this morning before we're done that uh, often we can see in Scripture that um, demonic possession was associated with physical illness. Of course, we take care to say not all physical illness is demonic attack or the result of demonic possession, but uh, we, we learn in Scripture that can be. Uh, it can be the case. Um, Zach, do you suppose that Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons um, actually cured people? you don't suppose that? What do you suppose actually did cure them? Yeah, and and how do we know that? Well, verse. look back at the beginning of verse 11. The Bible says, and God wrought special miracles. So um, this is the way that the Lord chose to perform miracles at this time. You stop and think about it. It does seem strange, uh, but what would be the Lord's interest in, in doing this? I think we'd say that the Lord had an interest in Paul's message, Paul and his message uh, being validated uh, through sign gifts, uh, through healing, uh, physical healing and, and spiritual healing. And so he chose uh, to allow this, these sign gifts that were related to Paul uh, to kind of travel out further than Paul himself could go all at once at least Uh, And the Lord chose to perform miracles this way. Again, I think to authenticate Paul as Lord's messenger and the gospel uh, as Lord's message. Um, Verse 13, we we meet this group of uh, vagabond Jews, exorcists, Bible language. Uh, Evidently, there's a group of nomadic Jewish people who make their living by performing exorcisms. I don't know if they were actually able to perform exorcisms or if they were phonies. We we really don't know. Uh, But we do see here that when they uh, saw that Paul was actually able to heal uh, and actually able to perform exorcisms and that uh, even having something from Paul, a piece of cloth from Paul uh, accomplished that, uh, these, uh, verse 13, certain vagabond Jews, exorcists, they, they want to know about that. They're uh, they, they interested in this thing that, that actually does seem to be working. So I think that implies that, that these folks are, are phonies. I, I don't know for sure, but they, they see something that works and, and they want that. So uh, maybe that implies that. Verse 13, certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So um, they recognize a, a person or a people who were possessed uh, and they begin to invoke the name of Christ. Uh, you know, others have done this, they've, they've seen it work. Uh, and so for them, it's probably more mechanical than based on faith in Christ. They saw some process that works, so they take up that process. Uh, Verse 14, there were seven sons of one Sceva, uh, a Jew, so dad and seven sons, it seemed to be eight men here, uh, chief of the priests, which did so. There's seven or eight men here. Uh, And the evil spirit answered and said, so um, these exorcists, these seven or eight men, um, they... They they learn that there's power in the name of Christ, and so they begin to employ the name of Christ in their exorcisms, uh, and the evil spirit answers them. They're real. The evil spirit answers, no doubt, through the possessed man, mouth of the possessed man, and said, hey, Jesus I know. Sure enough, the demons would know Jesus. Uh, And Paul I know. Sure enough, the demons, were familiar with Paul. (laughs) But the, the demon says... Who are ye? Who are, who are you guys? Uh, we, we don't know you. Uh, and so again, I think this implies that, that they're phonies. The demons don't even know them, don't know who they are. Who are ye? Who are y'all? And <clears throat> verse 16 says this, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped. Let me try that again. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. The demonic possessed man, demon possessed man uh, attacked them, attacked these uh, seven or eight Jewish exorcists, overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, this is one man against how many men? I think it's eight, Sister Janet. One, one demon-possessed man overcomes eight, uh, eight of these exorcists. Um, this, this man evidently had a strength uh, from this demon and you know, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on possession today or give any uh, glory to the devil or, or other demons, but uh, what I've heard of, of uh, what appear to be legitimate uh, cases of demonic possession is that there's, there tends to be a, a, a superhuman strength associated with that. And there's nothing to be trifled with, nothing to be toyed with. This is real. Uh, there's a real strength that goes along with this. Uh, and so, you know, the Lord is allowing this at times today, but, but not forever, not, not forever. Um, we'll look at just a couple more verses and, and we're done. Um, the, the Lord allows this evidently so that um, the name of Christ uh, could be magnified. Verse seven, all this was known to the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in emphasis and fear fell on them all. The name of Lord Jesus was magnified. So uh, these men have uh, invoked the name of Christ uh, and provoked the spirit. So people see that the spirit was provoked by the name of Christ, and now they understand, hey, uh, must be there's, there's real power and authority in the name of Christ, uh, and Christ is magnified. He's glorified in this. Right there, you can see one reason why the Lord would allow this possession. In, in the end, uh, he's glorified by this. Uh, people who recognize the, the authority and uh, uh, the glory of the name of Christ, the authenticity of his uh, identity, they repent of their involvement in the occult. Many, verse 18, that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, witchcraft, brought their books, their witchcraft books together and burned them. This is true forsaking of sin and repentance. Uh, before all men, they counted the price of them, found it 50,000 pieces of silver, so mightily grew the word of God uh, and, and prevailed. So, uh, praise God. Uh, praise God. Uh, the Lord did allow this steam this and possession in this particular case so that he could actually be glorified from that. Um, invoking of the name of Christ. over this man did provoke that demon. People understood the power of Christ. Some were saved as a result of that, evidently. Uh, And it's evident that they truly forsook their sin of witchcraft and truly repented of it. They brought the stuff and burned it. Uh, Praise God. Uh, Praise God. When people get truly saved, they turn from their old life when they take up a new life in Christ. We need to stop there. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, the book of Acts and all that we see here. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help us to bear in mind the things that we've seen today, uh, most certainly including the example of, of staying teachable uh, and the example of taking what we've learned uh, to others. And Father, being persistent as you allow uh, opportunity to share the gospel and to teach teach all your words. Lord, we love you and thank you. I pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning.